This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 200 with Gretchen Rubin. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 200. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Gretchen Rubin, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I am super, super excited to have you today. I'm so happy to be talking to you. I'm going to be really honest and vulnerable that I'm kind of fangirling right now. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. Well, you always have people where you're like, if just I could get that one person on my show, that would be so amazing. And you're definitely at the top of that list for me. And for so many of my listeners, I was so excited when I posted I was going to do an interview with you. People were like screaming on Facebook Messenger, like all caps. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're interviewing Gretchen. So this will be really exciting. And it's such an honor to have you here. Oh, well, I'm so happy to get the chance to talk to you. Yes. All right. So hopefully my questions won't clue you in too much to what a great stalker I am. Mm. And then I'll also let you know that I'm sitting here surrounded by your books all around my feet and on my desks. Oh, excellent. I love that. So I have probably enough conversation topics for like three hours. So I'm going to try to keep myself concise to give you the platform here. So let's go ahead and dive in and start with the dynamics of your personal and professional life. Tell us a little bit beyond your bio and specifically tell us what you're most excited about right now. Oh, what am I most excited about right now? I'm in a period right now because my book, The Four Tendencies, just came out. I'm sort of coming up out of that. You know, there's like this super intensity of writing a book and then editing it and getting it through the process and then promoting it out into the world. So then that's like a more 
kind of social and public and traveling mm -hmm. kind of mode. And now I'm beginning to come to the end of that and start to think about, okay, well, I'm going to be back at home. I can work on other projects. For a long time, like on the side, sometimes I like to have like a little side project. I had a side project that I called Outer Order, Inner Calm. And um, <laughs> that I'm like, ooh, I think I could like now like tinker with that book and try to get that book out into the world nice. now that I have like can catch my breath. Oh my gosh. Like I'm a person who has lots of obsessions and lots of interests. So right now I'm, I'm sort of pursuing a lot of different things. I've right noticed that in your first book, The Happiness Project, I notice that you do have a lot of interests and you're really good at organizing them. You're really good at compartmentalization, I think. So mm. you're good at organizing things where it's like, I'm going to be really thoughtful and specific about how I incorporate this into my life in a very routine way so that I can make sure that I get to enjoy it, which contributes to happiness. And I'm so impressed by that. I wish I could have organized happiness like that. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Like I'm very intellectually drawn to like doing things systematically or creating taxonomies mm. or finding vocabulary. Like one of my complaints is that things are not linear. Like people will say things and I'm like, but it wasn't linear. Like I'm like, <laughs> everything needs to follow from everything else. And yeah, you know, I think you're right that that's kind of a through line in all my work is that I'm sort of trying to like get everything into its right place. That's so interesting that you bring up the concept of things being linear because I'm a very linear person. Oh, you are? And okay, good. Yes. But I've trained <laughs> myself to be, as an entrepreneur, I've trained myself to be less linear in a lot of things. I think because it makes me feel like I'm able to be more thoughtfully responsive instead of like panic stricken reactive because it used to be that if things didn't go how I planned in my linear fashion, the panic that would set in was mm -hmm. too much. And so I think I've had to learn to be a little more flexible and a little mm -hmm. less reactive and be okay with things not going in a perfect line sometimes, which is not really how I was made. <laughs> well, I sort of have a version of that, which is like, I used to only like to do one thing at a time. Right. And now I have to do like seven things all at once. Because mm. it's like, I'm writing a book and I'm promoting a book and I'm working on a podcast and I have to do a blog post and I have to post to the better app and I have to answer this journalist and I have to like, change the time of my parent teacher conference. And it's like, it's all <laughs> happening at one time. Whereas it used to be, it's like, I would just do one thing all day long. I'm just going to work on my book today. Right. And now I, I can't really do that. And you're right. Like I also had to sort of train myself to be not as like super focused mm -hmm. just because that's what being kind of an entrepreneurial type sort of requires. Right. Right. Yeah. I've actually noticed that since launching this podcast coming up on two years now, I also own a gym. And so the way that I have to compartmentalize my time in my mind, that's very challenging for me. And I love what you say about like, it used to be like, today, I'm just going to write my book. Because for me, it used to be like, today, I'm just going to do this like thing for the gym. And I can just be immersed in that all day. And now it's like, no, I need to do like that for an hour. And then I need to do the podcast thing for an hour. And then I need to like do the kid thing for an hour. And that's challenging for a linear person, for sure. It is. I think some people really thrive on that. Yeah. And they like the spontaneity and they, the kind of almost the unpredictability and the kind of, I'll just feel my way. And then for some people, you know, for me, like the life I would love is like the life of a Benedictine monk where like <laughs> every hour had its purpose. Every day was exactly the same. Like to me, that sounds wonderful. Oh my gosh. But I just can't do that. Every day for me is different. So I'm laughing because 
little known fact about me is that my mom was a nun for 17 years prior. Ooh, yes. What kind of nun? What? She was a sister of the holy names. Mm. And so Catholic, I don't know more than that. I don't know like how to distinguish it more than that. But she was a mother superior though. She was in for a long time. Wow. So which to me, like when I learned that as a little girl and being obsessed with the sound of music, I was like, she was a mother superior. I mean, like that's the same as God in a little girl's book. So that was amazing to me. But she very much thrived on routine and she raised me and my parents divorced when I was little and she raised us not in convent lifestyle, but in extremely predictable ways. Like everything in our house was very systematic and very much the same from day to day, which I think was very beneficial in a lot of ways for me growing up, but it made it really hard when I went to college and had roommates and even being in relationships with people like where I was like, wait a minute, like I'm used to everybody being the same and me knowing exactly what's coming next. So like, like spontaneity is not fun. Right. What's well, funny. Cause my daughter just went to college and I'm a sleep zealot. Like, and she would stay up often later than I do as a high school senior. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I was like turning out her light for her, but there's definitely a feeling in our house. Like, now we are heading towards sleep and you are supposed to be on the way to sleep. <laughs> and she said she was amazed when she got to college and there would be like meetings at 1030 at night. And she's like, but everybody's supposed to be going to bed at 1030. And she's like, <laughs> right. not here. Like people are up at 2 a.m. And she was like, but but even if I'm awake, isn't everybody thinking that I should be going to sleep? And she said it was very hard to get used to that. That right. like, yeah, totally. It's so interesting how we carry that over intergenerationally. Fascinating. But also, I mean, part of it might be the way you're raised, but part of it, you know, I wrote this recently had this book, The Four Tendencies, which divides people into these four personality types. And one of the things I realized is that there's upholders, questers, obligers, and rebels. If you look at upholders, which that's my category, tend to really love routine and also not to be very flexible. And then rebels are people who, one of the aspects of being a rebel, it's not the most central thing, but like a side thing is that they tend to love spontaneity. And so it's interesting because people will say to me like, oh, why can't we all be spontaneous? I'm like, I don't want to be spontaneous. It's not a value for me, but for some people (laughs) it's a very high value. And again, it's not that it's one person's right or one person's wrong, or we should be spontaneous. It's just like, some people value spontaneity and some people value scheduling. And it's just like, okay, well, if we disagree, how do we create an environment where we can both thrive? Right, right. Yeah. So I'm glad you dove into the four tendencies because I want you to go ahead and share that. Let's keep going with that conversation because I want everyone to get the book, first of all, because I use the book. And this is how I stalked Gretchen into coming on the show is that I ran into Gretchen at a podcasting conference as she was leaving the bathroom with her sister. And I chased her down as one does. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love to interview you because I talk about the four tendencies, which you have outlined for years now in different pieces of writing and on your podcast and share just a little bit about your podcast before I continue. Yes, I know. It was fun to run into you. So I do this podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, once a week with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, and she is a very successful TV writer and producer in Los Angeles. And so each week we talk about, you know, sort of concrete, manageable tips and ideas for how to make yourself happier, healthier, more productive and more creative. So we talk about things you can try at home, happiness hacks, know yourself better questions. We talk about happiness stumbling blocks. We take a listener question. We talk about before and after stories. We give ourselves demerits and fa- and gold stars. <laughs> Which I love. And we are sisters, so we don't let each other get away with much. I just recently busted my sister. She bought a new laptop because she desperately needed a new laptop, but she still, she hadn't gotten out of the box for like for months because she just can't <laughs> handle it. And I'm like, I feel your pain, my friend, but you got to break out that laptop. <laughs> totally. 
<laughs> so that's the podcast. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's great. So for people who listen to the Shameless Mom Academy and appreciate the tactical tips that I really make an effort to put into every episode, you do so much of that on Happier with your sister with Elizabeth. And that's what I love about it, where like people can finish listening and be like, okay, these are like the two things I'm going to do today to like get an immediate result, an immediate happiness boost or something along those lines. So I really appreciate that. So back to the four tendencies. I talk about the four tendencies in all the different ways I've heard you share them on your podcast and in your different writing prior to the book coming out. I share them with my gym membership or with my gym members. I share them with my podcast listeners because I think it's so valuable to know what your personality type is. And I also think, or what your tendency is. And I think it's really valuable to know what the people closest to you, what their tendencies are. So I want to dive more into that. Can you share what the four tendencies are and their explanations of each? Yes, great. And I'm so happy to hear that you're finding it, that it's useful with your audience and your members. Oh, it's so helpful. So the four tendencies has to do with how you respond to expectations. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, like a work deadline or request from a friend, and inner expectations, which is like my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into practicing guitar. So there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they will do it. If it does not meet their inner standard, they will resist. And typically they object to anything that they consider arbitrary, inefficient, irrational. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this when a friend said, the weird thing about me is I know I would be happy if I exercised. And I'm sure you hear this a lot. (laughs) And when I was in high school, I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? on my own. And I was like, well, why? Same person, same behavior. Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, no problem. When she was just trying to go running on her own, it was a struggle. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Typically, they won't even tell themselves what to do. Like they wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class every Saturday because they're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. And just the fact that somebody's expecting me to show up at 10 a.m. is going to kind of annoy me. (laughs) I feel like doing a spin class today because it's like, oh, it's a great day for a spin class. Like, I'm just going to go. So those are the four tendencies. So interesting. And I think I bet everyone, as they were listening to you, did like a quick (laughs) self-diagnosis. And I want to challenge everyone because I did a quick self-diagnosis. And actually, I felt like I had done a little bit more of a thorough self-diagnosis in hearing you talk about this over time on your podcast in different pieces of writing. So I felt like, and I even said this to you when I hunted you down in the bathroom, um, I said, in my personal life, I'm an upholder. In my professional life, I'm an obliger. And you said, I think I have some questions for you about that. Yeah, so I think it, you're an obliger then. If you think well, you're an upholder uh, and an obliger, that means you're an obliger. Well, so I took the quiz. So ah, let, tell everyone about the quiz because it's been taken like over a million times now or near a million yeah. times. So to share that. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Yeah, so if you want to take a quiz, like you say, most people can kind of tell what they are just from hearing that. But if you want to take the quiz, it's at happiercast.com slash quiz. Or you can just go to my site, GretchenRubin.com, and find it there. Yeah, and more than a million people now have taken this quiz. Amazing. So I went and took the quiz. I thought it was a mix of the two, and I thought like I could separate them out and be like, well, in these situations, I'm one, and in another situation, I'm another. And then I was very curious to see what my husband was, because you have a chapter in the book that's like how it's beneficial in your relationships to know what your partner is. So I was like, oh, I need to know what he is. So I had him take the quiz and I said, I already know that you're a questioner or a rebel. I just need to figure out which one. So I was just wrong about all of it for everyone. Ooh, okay. Tell me. I came back as an upholder, but I tip toward obliger. Do you want to talk about tipping? Okay. So tipping is, if you looked at the four tendencies and is like four overlapping circles, you know, you see that each tendency overlaps with two other tendencies. So 
upholders overlap with obligers and that they both readily meet outer expectations. So there's a deep affinity between upholders and obligers. But upholders also overlap with questioners because they both readily meet inner expectations. And so I think people have the core tendency. I do think almost everybody has a core tendency. But whether you tip to one set or the other will really kind of flavor or color the expression of your tendency. So if you're an upholder who tips to obliger, well, and I'm an upholder who tips to questioner, that is what I am. Like we're both upholders, but it's going to look a little different because of what's kind of the rising minor sign. Sure, sure. So how I figured this and what was so helpful in taking the quiz is I started to see themes. And what's funny, and my husband had the same experience where I would be answering questions in the quiz and be like, well, but I'm kind of between two different answers. And I, and he said the same thing. He's like, what do I do if I'm not like specifically one of these or the other? But I remember starting to notice that, oh, actually, like at the very core of me, I am most disciplined in my own ways. And that takes precedence over pleasing other people. Even though I have a very strong desire to be a people pleaser, I will like leave a party early to get a good night's sleep so I can work out the next morning. I will like, I've never missed a podcast episode because I've said that I put out a podcast every Monday and Wednesday. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's obliging. But actually, no, it's because I'm like ridiculously disciplined. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I don't care who's looking. Yeah, that was eye opening to me. (laughs) And my husband came back as an obliger. And I was like, what? (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, but it did start to make sense. But so here's his situation. He said... I thought he would be a rebel or a questioner because he was way more delinquent than me as a teenager. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. we joke about like he almost didn't graduate from high school because he was skipping school all the time. And I was completely the opposite, like on the dean's list, never got less than an A in all of high school. So it was not surprising when I came back as an upholder. But wait, let me ask you something. Was he hanging out with a bad crowd? Yes. So he was probably doing all the things his friends expected him to do. Oh, that totally makes sense. Who's the most important person to you? That's true. In high school. Your 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 good friends. Right. Yeah. So then, okay, here's my follow-up question to this. I am the oldest of the family and he's the youngest and all of his siblings are 10 to 20 years older than him. So he qualifies as youngest and only child. Do you think that tendencies are connected to birth order? No. And the no. reason is, is that it feels like something that is real in the world. But in fact, research suggests that birth order doesn't really affect adult personality. Oh and in gosh. fact, with the tendencies, you could make the case for anything. You could say, well, of course, I'm an upholder because I'm the first child. And you could be, well, of course, I'm an obliger. I'm the first child. And then you're like, <laughs> well, I'm a questioner because like I'm the first child. And then you're like, well, I'm a rebel because I'm the first child. You know what right. I mean? It's like, right. It fits every scenario. And, you know, you could say, like, I'm an upholder because my mother was an obliger. Like, it can make any explanation. Okay. Okay. So that is the funny thing about birth order. It really doesn't seem to have kind of the consequence that we sort of – popular mind we think it does i totally thought i was like oh for sure firstborns are upholders (laughs) because i so many people i know are well no probably that's because homophily which is that people are attracted to being friends with people who are like them Mm. it's probably there are more first children than anything else obviously just because the way math works of course you're gonna have more first children than third children right Right. just because that's how math works but upholders have very small tendency the biggest tendency is obliger and okay. after that questioner. Okay. And so rebel is small and then the upholder is just slightly larger. So there probably aren't very many upholder first children, but I am. I yeah. And I am upholder. too. So, <laughs> yeah. 
So interesting. So, but no, but probably like one of my best friends from law school is more of an upholder than I am. I mean, she's hardcore. Oh, see, I but think like, you're I hardcore. Like this is... Other people are like, ooh, you're a little bit of a killjoy. You know, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's cool. You're a badass, you know? That's so interesting. So yeah. it's really interesting to see. I actually had a friend. So my friend I was telling you came to see your live podcast taping in San Francisco. And she said, she sent me a question. She was like, you should ask Gretchen if things are ever like chaotic and out of control because you seem to have things. And I kind of mentioned this earlier, like, you seem to be able to compartmentalize things into this perfect little package of keeping things very orderly and linear and you know like where your discipline lies. So that allows you to kind of, it seems like check a lot of boxes. So then what happens when things go sideways? I mean, this could be in relationship to motherhood, which I'm sure happens to you or in relationship to running your own business and your own company and, you know, building a brand around all of your writing. How do you manage chaos or does it just not happen to you because you have so many like guardrails in place? I mean, do you mean chaos like there's a medical emergency or chaos? It's like holiday season and there's just yeah. too much going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like life just gets busy and overwhelming and like the day didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Like in truth, what I usually do is get up really early the next day and like try to get a bunch of stuff done before my day starts. That would be my instinct okay. in, in a situation like that. If I felt like, oh my gosh, like my to-do list is piling up and I'm feeling like out of control and kind of crazy. And often like even if I don't try to wake up, I will just automatically wake up. You know, it's one of those things where your brain just sort mm -hmm. of starts like being like, you got to get on, you know, get right. up there. Right. You got to get into position and start working. You know, like I might wake up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And this can be bad because I really need sleep. And so this can be a bad cycle for me because it's like I feel like the only way – because if I feel like I need to really get something like a lot of stuff done before the world starts getting in my way, I you know, I always get up at 6 a.m., it's hard for me to get up at 4 a.m., but I will. That's how I deal with the stress mm, of it. Okay. Even unintentionally, that's just sort of my physiological reaction. Right, right. And usually a couple days of like really kind of trying to get everything back on course, then I will calm down. Okay. You do a couple days of reorganization and then get things or back just, into the you normal know, or groove. Or just, you know, crossing things off the right, list. You know? Right, right. So tell us the value in knowing your personal tendency and how is that helpful for us? And like, especially as we're coming up on New Year's resolutions and like a time of year when we're really looking at making shifts and changes and transitions and transformations in life, what is the value in knowing your tendency? I think the value in knowing your tendency is you can really see how to set things up so that you can succeed. Because what I see, and I'm sure you've seen this all a lot, is that people will really beat themselves up. You know, they'll be like, I have no willpower. I have no self-control. I must be lazy. This comes easily to my husband or to my wife or my sister or my best friend. Why can't I do it? There must be something wrong with me. I need to change. I need to just like be more forceful with myself and like force myself to be able to get up at 6 a.m. and go for a run. And the thing about the tendencies is just like a lot of things don't work for a lot of people. A lot of things come easily to some people but not to others. This is totally predictable. There's a ton of people who are exactly like you and who face exactly the same challenge. There's a million ways and techniques that you can use to set things up in a way that's going to make it more likely for you to succeed. You do not need to change. There is nothing wrong with you. Just show yourself some compassion and figure out, well, there's a lot of ways to achieve an aim. 
like what's something else that can work for you? And like, for example, obligers. So obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And this is super frustrating to them because they're like, how come I never let down anybody at work? But then I'm constantly letting myself down and I keep making these promises. I keep making these New Year's resolutions. I don't even make New Year's resolutions anymore because I've disappointed myself so many times. My answer to that is totally predictable. That's exactly what I would expect to see from an obliger. That is the biggest group for both men and women. You have like, they are the rock of the world. That's what the biggest number of people are. What do you do to fix that? You have outer accountability. That is just like the super easy, straightforward solution. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, take an exercise class, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Think of your duty to be a role model for somebody else. Think of your future self. Future Gretchen is going to be really disappointed in me if now Gretchen doesn't do it. And obligers even need outer accountability to be nice to themselves. Like you might need somebody to say, hey, you know, you might need your boss to say, hey, you haven't taken a vacation. I need you to tell me when you're going to take a vacation. I don't want you to burn out. And if I'm that boss, I need to be looking out for you if I know you're an obliger. And I've heard of some really crazy, cool things that obligers have done with their imaginations to do this. If people start talking about self-care and needing to take care of themselves and make time for themselves, I'm like, ding, 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 you're an obliger. And here is two such interesting solutions I just heard. One woman, Alison Gilbert, writes a lot about being a parentless parent. And she is an obliger. And she told me that when she, she never spends money on herself. So the way she gets around her reluctance to do that and to kind of take care of herself or treat herself is she thinks, what would my dead mother want? Oh, my gosh. My loving mother. She would say, you should have this. This is what I'm giving you for Christmas. You need this. I'm giving this to you. And so by imagining that this is what her loving mother would do for her, she thinks, well, this is what I will do for myself. Another obliger said that she wasn't able to take care of herself, so she thought of herself as if she were a pregnant woman. That's double accountability, one to herself in the third person, which again, like, I'm amazed at how many obligers can think of themselves in the third person, like the future self, and be accountable to the future self, which is the self, but kind of made into a third person. But by imagining that person as pregnant, well, then that's double accountability. And so she was like, I could make myself sleep and eat properly and take my medication and everything, because I was like, well, like, I'm going to treat myself like a pregnant woman. Again, it's this imaginative shift, but instead of like saying, like, I need to do it for me, it's like making it an outer expectation. And sometimes that's as simple as like taking a class or teaching a class. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of obligers who will teach a class or volunteer, you know, because that's how they stay in line. You know, yeah. um, they're like, I won't exercise unless I'm actually teaching a yoga class. So I sign up to teach three yoga classes a week. Or I volunteer to do genealogy because I love doing genealogy, but I never make time for it if I'm like not there. But if I'm doing it with other people, I have to do it. So I was like, yeah, this is an easy problem to solve once you realize what the problem is. And the right. problem is you need outer, you need outer accountability. But for questioners, very different. They don't really need outer accountability, but they need to be convinced they're doing the right thing. And so whenever I talk to a questioner who's like, I keep saying I want to eat healthy or I want to follow this diet or I want to do this form of exercise, but I'm just not doing it. My question is always like, but are you really convinced in your heart of hearts that this is the highest and best use of your time, that this is the right way to get fit or eat healthily or take care of yourself? Yeah, the doctor's telling you you need to take this blood pressure medication. But do you really believe it? Because maybe you really don't. And that's why you're not doing it. And almost always they're like, well, you know what? Now that you mention it, I'm not totally convinced. Or I don't know that I believe in this system. Or like, I'm kind of like, well, maybe there's this other system that's better. I'm like, you've got to get clear in your own mind. Once you're clear, action will follow. But Mm. that's the thing for questioners. 
But questioners are constantly hitting people over the head with research and thinking that's going to help other people move forward. It doesn't work for other people right. the way it works for right. questioners. So again, when you're like, well, I'm a rebel, so signing up for a bunch of classes isn't going to work for me. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> that's what we, you know, unless you feel like it, unless it's a challenge that's exciting to you, that's not going to work for you. That's not a surprise. There's nothing wrong with you. A lot of rebels are like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be an adult like other adults? Why can't I do a to-do list? Why can't I skip to, stick to a schedule? I'm like, because rebels don't like to do that. So like, right. you got to do it in a rebel way. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think it helps people show more compassion to themselves and also just be more efficient in what they're trying, how they're setting things up. Because right. I think sometimes people just like, well, this is what the experts say. So I should just do it. And if it's not working for me, then there's the problem with me. I'm like, no, there's let's like try to do it a different way. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. What are some ways that you see rebels work around that concept? Because I think I so agree with you, the benefits of knowing your own tendency can really empower you in action moving forward and also get you out of a cycle of constantly yeah. beating yourself up because you don't fit into a conventional norm or the conventional like linear fashion that maybe you yeah. and I do to get things done. So what are some recommendations you have for rebels who struggle with that? 
with rebels who are struggling with themselves. But, yeah. One thing is that rebels put a very, very high value on identity. Like they always mm. want to be projecting their authentic self. They always okay. want to be living up to their authentic self. So let's say I'm a rebel and I really want to get myself to exercise. So what I don't want to do is like sign up for, you know, to buy like a 16 package exercise class once a week, because that's not going to make me feel like doing it. So one thing I might do is because I like doing what I feel like doing, I might be like, I'm going to join a giant gym that has tons of options, or I'm going to like get a calendar of classes all over the city. So if like, I feel like doing this, I feel like doing that. But I might think about my identity, my identity, you know, I'm a energetic person who really respects my body. What do energetic people who respect their body do? They exercise. That's part of it. Like, so yeah, today I feel like running outside because it's a gorgeous day. I want to get the wind in my face. Today I feel like really pushing myself at a spin class because, you know, I'm like, I kind of get into that kind of challenge. Sometimes they're attracted to like doing things in an unusual way, like maybe an unusual form of yoga or like I know a guy who ran barefoot and he loved it when people would be like, hey, man, you forgot your shoes because he's like, yeah, I'm awesome. Like, Yeah, he, he wanted that recognition life. of like you just said, being authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going to do it my way. Sometimes rebels love a challenge. And so they might say to themselves like, hey, you know what? People think I can't run the marathon in 2018. Watch me. Oh, I'm going to totally, do it. Totally. I mean, somebody I was just talking to a rebel who is like a big football player type guy. And he was like, somebody said to me like, oh, I know you're going to be like one of these drunken athletes in college. He's like, I'm not going to have one drop of alcohol in college. Oh, that was you Lewis House. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've heard him tell and that he, story and he did yes, it. Yes, and so his siblings paid him 100 bucks each. 100 bucks is nothing, right? I mean, he was like, I'm going to show you what I can do. And so rebels can tap into that. Like, you know, you think I can't quit sugar? Watch me. Right. You know, nicotine doesn't control me. I'm not a slave to cigarettes. You can't tell me where to go or take my money. Big tobacco can't fool me with their packaging and their advertising. I'm not going to pour money into their pockets. Like that's the kind of thought that a rebel can tap into. You know, they should say to themselves, this is what I want. This is what I choose. This is the kind of person that I am. You know, I heard somebody talking about they wanted a rebel child to practice more. And they were like, this rebel child's really good at piano. But like, I try to remind her to practice. I try to like set up charts and, and like doing everything wrong for the rebel. <laughs> and he's like, well, what could I say to this child? Because she's like, I know that she likes to do it. Like, why isn't she practicing? And I was like, totally back away from any kind of reminders or kind of schedule, because that's going to ignite the spirit of resistance in a rebel. But remind the child of who she is and who she wants to be. And so you could say something like, wow, I saw that your teacher left you a really challenging piece of music. I don't think many 12-year-olds could learn to play something like that. But I've seen what you can do. And you are such a performer. I can imagine you up on stage just blowing people away with your ability to play. I mean, because you are such a beautiful performer. And it's like, and then what does the child think? It's like, I am a performer. I want to perform. What do performers do? Performers must practice. That's just the way of the world. That's just the truth of it. It's not something that anybody can change or work around. It's like, if you want to be a performer, you have to practice. But I'm not going to remind you to do that. You are a performer. So you'll do what you choose to do. Oh, that's so good. I feel like we just got really amazing parenting advice and all this uh, too. It, it can be tricky to parent a rebel if you're not a rebel yourself. Right. Because this is so easy to ignite that spirit of resistance. Right. Yeah. That's And that's, as an upholder, I've learned so much about myself and about my freedom from studying rebels because we're all so much more free than we think. Mm, yeah. 
Well, and I think we find freedom in different ways. And so the way that rebels find freedom is like you said, it's in being able to let their authentic self show and being recognized for that, like the man who runs barefoot and loves people screaming down the street after him. And for upholders, I think that we find our freedom is in structure where it's like, there's no guesswork. And I know exactly where everything is and how it's going to go. And I can manage it all. And it's all like organized in this linear fashion. So I think that the freedom is all and lives kind of in different places for each tendency. Well, it's funny because one of the my favorite parts of doing the Four Tendencies book was coming up with the mottos for the tendencies. So each of the tendencies has mottos and they each have a principal model, like the lead motto. And the lead motto for upholders, to your point, is discipline is my freedom. Oh, totally. Totally. Right. But I was talking to a rebel at a cocktail party and I was sort of describing my point of view and the rebel literally backed away from me. I mean, like she unconsciously <laughs> stepped, like started stepping back because... What I was describing to her is like my perfect life was so abhorrent to her. Right. But the thing is, that's okay. Like, this is what works for me. And that's what works for you. But so a lot of times people give each other bad advice. So like, if you and I are upholders, if things are kind of spiraling out of control, and we feel out of control, somebody very well intentioned, like an obliger or rebel might say like, hey, play hooky from work, take a day off, you deserve it. You should rest. Just like sit on the couch, watch some bad TV, recharge your batteries. You deserve it. To us, that would be very no. stressful. Oh, so it's stressful. It's relaxing to think like, oh, I'm going to skip the gym and I'm going to play hooky. I'm like, right. that would make me feel worse. Totally. <laughs> but I literally caught myself saying to my daughter, my daughter's an upholder, so it's fine. But to anybody else, it might have been laughable. She was really stressed out about something. And I was like, well, do you think it might make you feel better to like clean out your shelves? You know, because like to me, I'm like a little bit of order and like getting everything <laughs> organized would be like very comforting. Right. And my husband was like, what are you saying? Like, why would you (laughs) offer that up? But I'm like, but to an upholder, like that kind of thing can be very kind of relaxing and comforting. Oh, that's like how I treat myself, like by setting aside time to clean my office. I'm like, this is how I'll give myself a treat this week. I mean, I get it. I get it. It sounds so nerdy, but I love it. But again, it's like, but just because that works for you doesn't mean it would work for other people. And the kind of thing that would work for them wouldn't work for you. Now, a place where judgment comes in a lot of times is like, let's say an obliger feels overwhelmed by outer expectations. Now, as upholders and as questioners, we would say, well, if you didn't want to do it, why did you say you'd do it? Or if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Or, you know, if you don't want to answer emails over the weekend, don't do it. Like, I'm going to send an email just because I'm going to do it, but you don't have to answer it. That's up to you. But the obliger feels immense pressure to do it. Oh, yeah. So again, it's like, okay, be aware that you might feel like, well, this is on you. But if an obliger is feeling your pressure, like we all have to be aware of how we're engaging with each other and maybe not understanding how something that we're doing could be like challenging for someone else. Right, right. And, you know, like if an upholder and a rebel get together, like the more frantically the upholder tries to schedule the more the rebel will resist. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, that's very predictable. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So I want to shift gears a little bit and just touch on your experience in motherhood and the evolution in your writing and leading up to the four tendencies and into the four tendencies, if you want to take it there. But how do you see your evolution in motherhood and your professional life? And I guess start by telling us, I know you have two daughters and how old are they? I have an 18-year-old who's a freshman in college, a daughter, and then another daughter who's 12 years old and who's in seventh grade. Okay. And when did you write your first book? Not your first book ever, but sorry, when did you write The Happiness Project? 
Well, I, well, my first book ever, I wrote right before my daughter was born. Okay. My first daughter. And then The Happiness Project, I don't know, that was 2009. Okay. So she was like 10. Okay. Yeah. And, and my younger daughter was three. Okay. Four. So your professional evolution has really changed and grown in your public presence in a big way mm -hmm. as you've gotten deeper into motherhood. What has that been like and how have they kind of paralleled each other and maybe intersected? Well, I think it's been useful for my work because since I write about sort of human nature and from the lens of my own experience, it's helpful because it's like these are big like experiences that many people have. Right. So I think it's helpful for me that I have my own view of what it's like to be a parent. And, you know, I always write from my own experience and I have my own idiosyncratic circumstances and viewpoint. But certainly, like, I have a, you know, I'm going through it. So I think in that way, it's been very useful. It's expanded my own kind of human experience. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Does your experience as a parent shift the direction in which you write or, like, push you to write in different ways or on different subjects? Or does the writing, is that kind of compartmentalized and the parenting experiences are pulled into the writing things that you are already considering and thinking about and working from? Yeah, I don't think that it's really particularly kind of altered the course of what my natural interests would be. Okay. Okay. Because for me, like my course shifted after having a child mm. where I was like, I don't mm. really want to just be a gym owner anymore. Mm. Like I wanted to have a bigger platform and I wasn't sure. So I was curious if that had impacted, if motherhood had impacted your course or not, but it sounds like you were heading down your course already, ready yeah. to take it in the direction you're going. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Interesting. Tell us in what ways you are a shameless mom. Well, you know, I try not to have unrealistic expectations of things and, <laughs> you know, just not get too hung up on what other people would think, you know. I mean, I don't feel like there's anything that I worry about in terms of my decisions, I guess. Nice, nice. And maybe that's because you're an upholder and not an obliger. So you feel confident just moving, like staying on your trajectory. Well, I mean, one thing about being an upholder is it does, it can make people seem cold because they're like, well, this is what I'm doing. And so... Like, that's just how it has to be. Now, of course, if there was like an emergency and one of my daughters needed me, then I would drop everything. But like, if I'm going away on a book tour, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm missing your concert. You know, I'm going to be in London. And I don't feel particularly bad about that because I'm like, you know, I got to travel. That's part of what I do. And so I'm going to miss things. And that's really sad and unfortunate. And I wish I could be there. But it's not like I feel like, oh, is everybody judging me at school? Or, you know, am I going to screw my daughter up forever? I'm like, more like this is how things go. Like okay. if, for, if I'm going to do my work, then I have to just accept the fact that sometimes there's going to, I'm going to miss the chorus concert, you know, or whatever. Right. That's interesting because I definitely identify as an upholder, but I feel that outside pull, like I was actually just recently, I was in London last week, two weeks before that I was in Nashville and I missed my son's Halloween party at school. And I was, which for like to miss a five-year-old's Halloween party at school is so not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. in my mind, I was like, I'm missing like his first school party and I won't be there. And like, it was a big deal to me. And I definitely felt like all the other parents are going to be there. And are they judging me? But like I chose to be in Nashville instead on a Friday night. <laughs> See, it wouldn't even occur to me that the, what the other parents would think. Part of it is I just feel like people don't notice people that much. Yeah. Probably not. Probably they notice things more than I think. This is like a big subject that my sister and I talk about because when I was writing my book Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, one of the strategies of habit change is other people. How do other people affect 
how your habits change and also the loophole of concern for others thinking yeah. like, oh, I have to like, I can't keep my good habit because I, because out of concern for other people. And my sister kept saying to me like, Gretchen, you don't feel like anybody cares if you don't have a piece of birthday cake at the birthday party. And you feel like nobody cares if you're at a dinner and you don't take wine. But the fact is, other people feel like other people care. That is the reality. And the fact is, it does change it when you don't do it. And like, maybe you're willing to accept that, but it is different. And for a long time, I'm like, no, this is just an excuse people are making. They're trying to say like, oh, I have to have the piece of birthday cake or I'm going to hurt your feelings. But now I'm like, you know, this is like a valid thing. I think people yeah. really do feel this. I yeah. just don't feel it. I'm like, I can't <laughs> imagine a world in which one grown-up cares if another grown-up has a piece of birthday cake. I'm like... <laughs> But I have become convinced that it is real. Now, you can reject it, of course. You can say, like, my desire to keep my healthy habits is more important than, like, your momentary fleeting, you know, satisfaction in seeing that, you know, the cake that you bought was eaten by everybody in the room. Like, I get it. Like, you could still decide that one is more important than the other. But I used to completely discount it. And now, and I think part of it is because I think nobody notices. And she's like, yeah, people do notice. And I'm like, you know, people do notice, but I'm just not that aware of it. So I think I kind of have a low awareness in that way that makes it easier for me to be kind of oblivious. Okay. <laughs> That's so interesting. So that might be kind of the positive and negative yeah. of the same quality. Yeah. Like in a way it's good. In a way it's maybe not so good. Right. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I have thoughts around the whole birthday cake and drinking thing because of being a fitness professional for so long. I feel like people are always like self-conscious about eating cake in front of me or drinking in front of me or whatever. Mm. But I'm like, I want to eat the cake. I'm going to eat the cake. Everyone else eat the cake. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't care if you eat it or not. So it's, right. it's very interesting. It's interesting to be around. Gretchen, I want to be sensitive to your time. And I know it's dinner time over on the East Coast. So I'm going to let you get going. I want to first make sure that I remind everyone to grab your books. I'll have them all linked up in the show notes here, but we have the four tendencies better than before and the happiness project are my top three. There's also a few more beyond that. I know you also have happier at home and have I missed any? Uh, when why? Oh, those are your oh, top. you know what? The happiness project was actually my fourth book. So I have a whole bunch of other books as well. Related uh, to happiness. Cause I know you have like historical books, right? You yes. tell us. So my first book was called Power, Money, Fame, Sex, A User's Guide. And that's a, such a fun book, in my view. <laughs> I loved writing that book. Then I wrote two short, unconventional biographies, 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill and 40 Ways to Look at JFK. And then I wrote a very weird little art book called Profane Waste, which is all about why owners would destroy their own possessions, which was this question that haunted me coming out of law school, which I exercised by writing this book. And then I wrote The Happiness Project. And you're right, then it sort of all became much more of a piece the happiness project happier at home better than before which is the book about habit change and then the four tendencies right right so lots of reading options there i need to get <laughs> i need to get your first one because i'm totally intrigued by that topic and i totally forgot about that one and i've looked at it before on amazon so i'll have all your books linked up is there anywhere else that we can send people to you want us to send people to your site sure yeah and also to the podcast right yeah, GretchenRubin.com. There's more there than you would ever look at. Blog posts, resources, discussion guides, the quiz, like tons of stuff there. Yeah, the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. That's a weekly podcast where I talk about happiness with my sister. And then I'm on social media as Gretchen Rubin on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have a Facebook Live show. I'm all over the place. Yes, you are. You are. You're like, every time I open Facebook, I get a row of videos just of you. And I'm like, I don't uh, know if this uh, is just because I'm a stalker. Or what? Does everyone get these videos? <laughs> well, I so, love to connect with readers and listeners and viewers. So if people yeah. have like thoughts, observations, insights, yeah. send them my way. Yeah. 
Yes. And I so appreciate everything you're putting out into the world. And I love that. I feel like every piece of content you put out there gives someone an action step that's very tactical that they can go and do that day to make a step in a new direction or a better direction to attain happiness and maybe find peace or order or whatever they're looking for. So I just really appreciate that you are working so hard to put that all out there and really help people just get a little bit more of what they need every day. Oh, well, thanks so much. I feel like we could talk all afternoon. I want you to go get your dinner though and be able to be with yes. your family. So I will yes. let you we go. We'll run into each other in another bathroom. Yes, I will and, find uh, you. Yeah, I sit will... down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Gretchen. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with Gretchen and me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I can't tell you how special this is to spend our 200th episode with Gretchen Rubin and to be able to share such a fantastic interview with you and to share such a special guest with you in celebration of our 200th episode. That really, really means the world to me. It also means the world to me that we have spent 200 episodes together. That's a lot of love together. We have grown, we have laughed, we have cried, but this has just been such a special journey to me. And I cannot wait to see what the next 200 episodes bring. At 200 episodes, we're sitting at about 400,000 downloads. Kind of a big freaking deal, you guys. I'm not going to lie. 400,000 downloads of the Shameless Mom Academy. And that is because you share the show. You talk about the show. You take screenshots of it. You share links of it. You share it on social media. You tell your friends about it. You shoot me emails and you give me feedback. You send reviews over to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, which puts you into iTunes where you can just click on the little write a review button. Yes, that was a shameless plug for you to all go write a review today. So you do all these special things that help the show grow and it makes a difference. It makes a difference in terms of the platform I'm able to grow and it makes a difference in terms of what I'm able to offer you all. I have some special things coming down the pipeline. So stay tuned. This week, make sure you are over on Instagram this week following me at the Shameless Mom Academy because I am doing a couple special things in celebration of our 200th episode. And I want to make sure that you don't miss out on that. So make sure you pop over, make sure you're following me and getting notifications from me over on Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy. And please share this episode. I learned a ton in this interview, had a few good laughs as well, but I'm sure you learned a lot as well. And I would love for you to share this episode with other people who you think would be positively impacted. So share this out with other shameless mamas in your life. You can share it by taking a screenshot of the episode from your phone and sharing that to social media. You can go get a direct link to the show. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on episode 200. The more you share the show, the more mamas get to be more shameless every damn day. So let's do this together. Let's keep growing, keep building and keep celebrating together. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and how much I enjoy spending my weeks with you every week, two times a week. If this is your first time listening, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a new show. Never missed an episode in 200 episodes every single Monday, every single Wednesday. So I will be back on Monday with episode 201. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, 
you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.